Hello, and welcome to episode 61 of The Modern Manager. I'm your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. Before we get into today's episode, I just want to say thank you to everyone who has written a review or left a rating on iTunes or has emailed me telling me how much you appreciate the show. And of course, to everyone who's a member of the Modern Manager community. It means so much to me to know that you find the content that I'm producing useful and valuable in your journey as a rockstar manager. So thank you. Now, today's guest is Lee Carraher. Lee is the CEO of Double Fort PR and Digital Marketing. She's known for her practical solutions to big problems, and she's the author of two books, Millennials in Management, based on her experience with failing and then succeeding at retaining millennials, and The Boomerang Principle, Inspire Lifetime Loyalty from Your Employees. And as the guest bonus this week, Lee has offered five free copies of The Boomerang Principle, so I'll be selecting five members at random to receive one of those copies. If you want to get in on this opportunity, you need to join the Modern Manager community before August 12th, since that's when I'm going to select those winners randomly. To join, go to mamieks.com join. And of course, when you do, you also get access to all the previous episode guides and guest bonuses, and there is some really good stuff there. Also, if you work for a nonprofit, please email me from your nonprofit email address and let me know that you'd like to join, and I will send you a discount code for 20% off of any membership level. Now, Lee and I have a fascinating conversation. We talk about various cohorts of millennials. I did not know that there were different types of millennials, the experience of Gen Xers and boomers in the workplace, how to manage new graduates who are just entering the workforce, and management practices that work for everyone, whether you're a younger manager working with older team members or an older team member working with a younger manager. Now here's our conversation. You're listening to The Modern Manager, a podcast dedicated to helping you be a rock star boss with a thriving team. Whether you're looking to upgrade your meetings, cultivate your team, or grow as a leader, this podcast is for you. Now here's your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. Thank you so much for joining me today, Lee. I have to say that I've had a number of people reach out and ask for an episode on managing millennials or managing generational differences. So I'm really glad to finally have a conversation about this topic. (laughs) Mamie, thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm looking forward to diving in. All right. First things first, uh, how do you define a millennial? All it does is tell you how old you are right? So I use Pew Research to define the ages. There are lots of resources, but I use Pew Research. And right now, Pew Research says that a millennial was born between 1980 and 1997. All right. So in that definition, which Mm -hmm. I agree, I think Pew is one of the easiest, most common ways to define millennials. Mm -hmm. In that definition, I am a millennial Mm -hmm. and I know people who were born in the early 90s, and I don't feel anything like them. <laughs> <Is that>? Right. <laughs> okay, so let's just talk about that for a second. So first of all, more than 89%, so just say 90% of millennials say they're not millennials, right? Because the negative stereotype around the generation this definition is so dramatically and so negative that they, and then they just sort of laugh at their quote unquote, millennials. Oh my God, they're terrible, right? (laughs) So all it really does is tell you when you're born. But of course, it's 80 million people. So to say that 80 million people are the same is ludicrous, of course. 
But we can say that 80 million people, and I would sort of, I, I split it up into three groups, three groups of millennials based on what was happening in the economy or what was happening with technology. And there are some commonalities among the three groups. And then there are many differences based on many things that have nothing to do with your age, but could have lots to do with where you grew up, how you grew up, what is your type, what's your Enneagram number, what's your disk profile, what's your MBTI. So all mix it all together. And as a manager, it's really important not to like rely heavily on one type of indicator over another, but to blend, you know, to understand the people you work with through that blended view of all these things. That makes so much more sense to have a nuanced perspective. What are the ways that you group? Do you have commonalities or themes within these different groups that you see? Yeah. So the millennials, I split into three groups. The first group is the oldest set. So 37 down to about 31 year olds. And this is the group that came into the workforce after 9-11, right? This group never has had privacy, never has had no security at the airport. They just automatically take out their ID out when they go to a big building. I still forget to take my ID out when I go into a building, right? But they, if you thought about them versus the Gen Xers who are a little older than them, this idea of personal security and personal privacy is really different between those two groups. Then if you thought about the youngest millennial, which is 21 right now, 21 to about 27, somewhere in there. These are the millennials that have learned so dramatically differently than the oldest millennials. So these millennials learned on iPads. The iPad went into the classroom when these kids were in eighth grade, maybe 10th grade. And they started doing much more video learning, much more practical homework in the classroom, learning upside down is what they call it. And also the middle group, which is the group that came into the workplace right in 2009, 2008, 2009, 2010, which really got squeezed. And that's actually the largest group, that middle group. The education sort of changes in that whole range. What is the same among all millennials there is that education, the grade point average, in colleges raised, rose a full point for those 15 years between the oldest millennial and the youngest millennial. So that what was a 3.0 is now a 4.0. And that in itself has created a lot of commonality in expectations in the workplace, both by the young people who come into the workplace and by their older managers. Can you say more about how that's played out around this grade point average change? Absolutely. So there's a lot of evidence on the crime point average change. There's a lot of reasons for it, which we don't have to talk about. But basically, when you have people who perfection used to be four, and now you can get up to a five with extra credit. So most people don't graduate without a three point something, right? And that is much higher. So a 3.0 is a 4.0, a 4.0 is a 5.0. And some institutions don't have 5.0s anymore. But what happens is, if there's negotiation for a grade, when people show up in the workplace, they have achieved a lot academically. Their GPA is probably higher, higher than it should be, frankly. And they get into the workplace and they do their work. And the first time they do their work and it's not good enough is a nightmare, right? Because, you know, what do you mean I have to do it again? What do you mean it's not good enough? What do you mean it's not done? I've only ever done 
A work. I've only ever done A minus work. I've only ever done 4.7 work, whatever it is. And you get into the workplace and it doesn't work that way, right? Social promotion isn't that popular among those of us who run companies and uh, are responsible for that level of work. And so that discord between work that has been exemplary up until you get into the workforce and then the real work that is the workforce is a huge divide that you really have to get ready for as a manager and really have to be aware of as uh, recent graduates. So what do you do if you're a manager and you're managing someone who's a millennial and has these expectations? Are there are there approaches you can take or conversations you can have early on, or do you just wait till it surfaces and then deal with it right then in the moment? I think never wait. I think waiting is a mistake. I think the best thing you can do is to onboard with intention and over communicate sort of what your experience is. So, you know, in the last five years, I've managed over so many recent graduates. And this is the situation that we see often, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, the first six months are really hard because we can't let anything with a typo go through our hands. If you don't give it to me in the right format, I have to send it back to you because it has to be in the right format. And a lot of millennials are like, this is stupid, right? I can do this so much faster if I did it my way. But I'm going to know you're going to have great ideas about how to improve our processes, how to improve the quality of our work. And I just ask you to do it my way first, do it the company way first. And then after the first 30, 40 days, let's have a conversation about what makes sense. But it is a transition, guys. And it's hard, right, to get used to having to not have as much check-in as you're used to having and to have to expect that your work will not be finished. When you're done, it's not done. And that is a different situation. The other thing I asked people to say is, let's just talk about deadlines right now, because deadlines are so different for a recent graduate than they are for a working person, and particularly for older working people who used to say things like end of day and close of business and give it to me later. And those actually meant things that actually meant specific times, right? End of day was six o'clock. Close of business was 530. Later was before I left. And a recent graduate from college is used to having the number one deadline in college and university is 11.59.59 p.m. (laughs) because everything is, you know, pushed, you know, you don't turn in anything anymore, right? You submit it online. And 11.59.59 is just that day, just have that timestamp for the day. Well, that's not going to work in 99% of businesses. 11.59.59 is never going to work for a deadline. But we don't say these things well enough and enough and over and over and enough and not specific enough so that they think they're doing great. And then they're, you know, six hours late without even knowing it. So I have to say that both of those pieces of advice to onboard and set expectations and even the way that you're talking about, like, just, you know, do it my way, follow the company process first, and then let's have a meeting to discuss your ideas mm-hmm. for improving it. That's great advice for anyone. I mean, that- Anyone. That's, that's nothing to do with being millennial. Yeah. <laughs> and, and same thing with being clear about deadlines. I mean, I see this with teams all the time where someone will say, I'll get it to you on Friday. And one person is assuming that means Friday morning, and the other person right. is assuming it means Friday night. And then- one person even is saying, okay, Friday, well, they're not really going to look at it till Monday. So I can actually turn it in, you know, exactly. have it in their inbox at 7 a.m. on Monday. And that's the same thing as Friday because they didn't right. do anything with it over the weekend. So, ah, right. so you cannot be specific enough. I mean, so I have a small team. My company is 
25, 26 people were distributed among two offices and then four people, five people work from their homes in different states. And we work with clients all over the country and the world, right? So even if you're on a team that sits next to each other in the same office, what we have to do in our company is say, okay, it's due Friday, this Friday, January 26th at 10 a.m. Pacific time. So uh-huh. we say the day, the date, the time, and the time zone. Pacific time, 10 a.m. Pacific time, right? Because you don't know where you're going to... I may have people flying around the world. I have no idea where they're going to be. I don't know where, you know, my teams are bi-coastal. They might be in other places. So we get that specific. What date, what day, what time, what a.m., p.m., and what time zone? Such good advice for every team. All right. Every team. What about other generations? Are there particular things that are useful to understand about other generations in the workforce? I think so. I mean, I think a lot of the negativity around millennials is actually nothing to do with millennials. It has everything to do with the disappointment that boomers and Xers felt, particularly in 2010, 2009, somewhere in there. Because, you know, their expectations for their own careers really blew up when the economy disintegrated. Number one, right? Boomers were, I'm a last year of boomers and they were called boomers for two reasons. One, there's so many of us, but two, because the economy was booming, right? The economy was booming the same time as this generation came into the workforce. I mean, we weren't called boomers actually until people started going into the workforce and people started calculating, oh my gosh, look at all those people. But there was so much opportunity that it was called the wait my turn generation. Like if you just work, there's going to be opportunity, right? Well, Gen Xers, smallest generation, lots of latchkey kids, lots of double income, single children in that group, and much more independent than the boomers or the millennials. And this group has really been squeezed, you know, several times, once in 2000 when they were just entering the workforce and in the big cities, you know, the NASDAQ crumbling and the dot-com bust really just collapsed a lot of opportunity, particularly in San Francisco, Seattle, Boston, New York not all around, not all worldwide, right? And then again, in 2009, when after that implosion, when they're 30, 35 years old, right? When you're sort of hitting your stride in your career. So the Gen Xers have had opportunity compressed and taken out of their career paths as boomers have stayed in the workforce longer than they thought. You know, a lot of people who are still working today, we have five generations in the workforce, silence who are up to 85 years old, Boomers, who are up to 69 years old, Xers, Millennials, and now Gen Z. Gen Z is 21, 22, 23, somewhere in there. And each generation has its own thing, right, in terms of their expectations of work, expectations of behavior, expectations of access and opportunity. And truly, the people who, the Gen Xers and the Boomers have the hardest time with Millennials because Millennials have had more power in their hands and Gen Z than they ever had more access to people and information, or at least the perception that you can have access to people and and information than Gen Xers and boomers ever had. Number one. Number two is work-life balance had been an agenda for 25 years for boomers and Xers. And it's very disconcerting for some to have someone who's 22 sit down next to you because there are no walls anymore in these offices, right? And say, well, yoga's at four, can't wait. (laughs) <laughs> and the boomer going, wait, 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 what is that? Wait, it took me 25 years to get yoga at four, right? 
And the difference is that, you know, these pioneer women who really worked hard to get work-life balance, which of course is fallacious, but we can talk about that differently, to understand that they worked really hard so that the people behind them could have the things that they fought for. So it was just a lot of, a lot of stuff there, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. And I'm thinking yoga at four. My gosh, that sounds like such a dream. I'm thinking about like, how can I get home to see my kids before bed and like make sure I can be home for dinner? Like not even yoga, but just like, let me be home for dinner. Right. So true. So true. (laughs) So when you're thinking about some of these generational differences and and kind of how they play out in the workforce, if you're a manager and you're managing a team of people who are of different generations, are there things that you should think about or do to kind of support the team dynamic or the team culture kind of in honor of recognizing some of these different experiences? I think a couple of things. In my experience, what I found and my two books really just focus on this idea that, you know, millennials get a lot of crap for they're called entitled, but the millennial doesn't want anything different than anybody else in the workplace. The difference is that they talk about it and really early and they have come to expect things that they've heard their parents and the media talk about. Right. And what it turns out is that when you create practices and behaviors that help millennials thrive, everybody else thrives too. So in terms of that, then what I suggest is the following. One is make sure you stand for, you know, what do you exist for? What does your company exist for? What's your team's mission? If your team doesn't do its job, what happens to the company? That kind of stuff, right? So understanding the job, understanding the purpose of the team, super, super important. Taking time at the beginning of any project to outline the project, outline its goals, talk about what success is, talk about who else is counting on your team to achieve its goals, number one. And then number two, outline everybody's roles, everybody's roles on the team. So everyone understands who's counting on everybody else, right? Millennials get a big ding for being a me generation. This is not my experience at all. In my experience, millennials are a we generation in the fastest way to demoralize millennials to say they let the team down. So your role might be the janitor, right? But if the janitor doesn't clean up, then we can't actually have lunch here. If we can't have lunch here, we're going to waste time. If we can't do this, we can't do that, whatever it is, right? So that everyone understands their roles and who's counting on them. Also, who everybody understands what the timeline is, right? So we have six months to do this. We're going to check in at two months to see if we're on schedule, blah, blah, blah. And then the last piece of that whole setting context thing is to say, does anybody have ideas on how we can work even better? Are these the right roles for people? Does anyone see a better outcome than the one I've outlined? Does anyone have suggestions on how we can just absolutely knock this out of the park? And sometimes you get, you know, chirping. There's nothing, right? Chirp, chirp. And other times people have a lot of ideas, right? Let's make the deadline, you know, instead of having check-ins on Friday at 4 can we have check-ins on Thursday at three? That would mean that if we were behind, we would be able to troubleshoot between Thursday at four and Friday at noon and make sure we're back on schedule by the time we knock off by Friday. That might be a suggestion. And then listen to all the input, right? And then make a decision. Always in management, we want to be in a high input, low democracy situation where we're soliciting the ideas of the people around us who are closer to the work than we are but then to bring it all in and then make a decision on how to go forward and then bring people into the reason you made that decision. So context is king always when you set up a situation and then when you go forward with a decision. 
without context, really do not expect everybody to be on the same train. That makes so much sense. And I use a really similar practice and I've seen it in other businesses too, where you do that work up front so that people are mm-hmm. bought in. And then when things start moving, there's an much less ambiguity. There's much less confusion or territorial kind of stuff that plays out because everybody has had opportunity to weigh in and everyone's kind of aligned on the same path. Right. Even down to it, what are the behaviors we're going to have? Here's how we're going to come together. Here's how we're going to, we're going to be a text heavy group or we're going to be email heavy group or we're going to use Slack or whatever it is, like really defining those behaviors that are going to move you from point A to point B super important so that everybody's on the same page. And also important is setting up the check-in times because in particular, young millennials are used to having lots of check-ins and this frustrates older people to no end. So saying we're going to check in on Thursdays or we're going to check in on Tuesdays, or if you hit a, if you hit a snag, don't wait till Friday to tell us, you know, but you defining those relationships, defining those behaviors for a project or a team goes long, long way in making sure that you don't have any confusion. And really what we're talking about when we're talking about conflict is confusion, right? Mm-hmm. Not understanding why we're doing something, who has to do what and how it all fits together. The more you can remove confusion from your communication, the better it is. All right. I want to switch gears a little bit, even though this is such rich stuff, because <laughs> another question that I've gotten is, what do you do when your boss is a millennial or your the boss that you're working for is younger than you and mm-hmm. that kind of generational difference plays out? So any advice for, you know, you're managing a team, but you've got a manager above you who happens to be younger than you or a millennial? Mm-hmm. You know, are they a good manager or not is the first question, right? <laughs> because you can have millennials who are great managers and people who are terrible managers that has, may not have anything to do with their age. If you work for someone who's younger than you, and in, in my business, I don't because I'm the president, but our, we have clients who are much younger than me. And it's like, oh, God, really? You're a child. And that's what you have to not have go through your head. Right. You just have to like say, okay, this is, they're not children. They are in charge. Right. So if you have a problem with it, it'll be a bigger problem for your boss, I'm sure. So, how can you participate on the team in a way that does your job and contributes? And what I would do in that situation, if I was nervous about it, was set up a time to talk with that person. Right to say, you know what, it is a little weird for me. And I hope that I can bring my experience to bear here on the team. And I'm also looking forward to learning from you, blah, 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 blah. And just have that open relationship, right? Say it out loud. And then imagine that this younger person who's your boss in a team situation, you know, does something inappropriate that someone with more experience may not have done, right? Then if it's a good dynamic, you can set the situation up where it said, you, I, want, I need to resolve this conflict with you. You know, Joe, you blew up in front of everybody uh, yesterday in the meeting. And that's a fact, right? There's always conflict resolution is all about facts. And my assessment is that you were overwhelmed by the situation. And in my experience, I've been there many times. I felt like, oh my gosh, I felt so demoralized by that situation. My request is that you don't do that again right? Because it's not going to 
inspire people. And my offer is to help you if you want, before you have these meetings, to go through it with you, to offer you, you know, just be a sounding board if you'd like it so that you don't have to force it. But a good manager sees the asset in every person. So sometimes it's your job as the older employee to the younger manager to explain what assets you have to offer to that person. That is so beautifully said. And I love the model of feedback that you just outlined. But I want to, because we're going to run out of time, I want to switch <laughs> switch the frame and say, what about if you're the younger person managing older older team members? And that makes you nervous because you have a bunch of people reporting to you that are older than you. Is, is it appropriate to have that same kind of conversation up front with them to say, hey, I recognize that we have different levels of experience and I'm really hoping that you will support me and, you know, I can learn from your experience and blah, 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 whatever things. Absolutely. I really actually hate the word manager because you can manage a thing. It's very hard to manage people, right? You can inspire people, lead people, beat them into the ground. But managing people is like, it just implies that um, they have strings on them, right? Mm. As a manager of any age, you're going to be measured on the contribution of those around you, not necessarily your own performance and your own, on the own tasks that you have, right? So anything you can do as a manager to understand the people on your team, understand what motivates them, what they hope to get out of a project, what their career goal is in the, in the next year, whatever it is, right? And then to outline how you can help them do that through the work that you have to give and, and to delegate. And then also to guide the team on what are the rules of engagement? What are the behaviors we're going to tolerate and not tolerate? That is your job, right? And the more you can break down any of that to have the same expectations of everybody, regardless of experience in terms of behavior and values, the better it is. So well said. All right. So we are now coming to the end. So tell us about one of the fantastic rockstar managers that you had the benefit of working with and for and what made him or her so amazing. I think one of the best people I ever worked for is Mary Jean Lozier. Mary Jean Lozier was my boss twice, once at the Weber Group and then again at Weber Shanwick. And she is teeny weeny, man. She like could fit in my leg, I think. <laughs> and uh but she's, you know, small and mighty and she's very intimidating. We were all very intimidated by her, but she's an extraordinary listener, extraordinary listener. And when I am challenged by situations around me or by the fact that I'm like, why don't people understand me? Right. I just have this picture. This little Mary Jean comes onto my shoulder and goes, OK, Lee, you got this. Just ask them. Tell me more. So then I just say, tell me more. <laughs> And I hear her and I say that a lot. My team would tell you that I say, tell me more a lot because you can never listen hard enough. You can never listen hard enough. And I learned that from her. Beautiful. I love that. I love that phrase. You can never listen hard enough. That's awesome. And where can people keep up with you, Lee, and learn more about the work that you do? The best place to go is my website, www.leecarraher.com, L-E-E-C-A-R-A-H-E-R.com. I blog on these topics. You can find my books. And on Twitter, I'm at, at Lee Carraher and Instagram, Lee Carraher. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing all of your wisdom and insights on all these generations and just really superb management practices. Thank you. I'm so happy to be with you today. Such fascinating stuff. 
Again, if you want to get that free copy of The Boomerang Principle, in which Lee shows how companies and leaders can realize tremendous advantages by letting go of their old definition of workplace loyalty and replacing it with a mindset that inspires employees to be loyal for their lifetime, whether they're employed by the company or not. Go to mamieks.com join and become a member of the community before August 12th. I'll be selecting five members at random to receive a free copy of the book, so you need to be a member before August 12th to get your name into that hat. Again, the link is mamieks.com join. That link and all the links that we mentioned in the show are in the show notes, and they're in your inbox if you subscribe to my newsletter, which you can do so at mamieks.com podcast. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Meetings are one of the most critical components of healthy collaboration, and teams are at the heart of how we work. Meteor helps you use your time in meetings productively, build healthy relationships with your colleagues, and move work forward. To learn how we do it, visit meteor.com. That's M-E-E-T-E-O-R.com. You've been listening to The Modern Manager. You're already becoming a rock star boss of a thriving team, I can tell. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player and join the mailing list at mamieks.com slash podcast. That's M-A-M-I-E-K-S dot com slash podcast to get show notes and other special content delivered directly to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.